Alright, welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, guys and gals, boys and girls, and everybody in between. Welcome to the latest installment of the Get Around Podcast. We have hit lucky number seven on the episode count, and we are just continuing to roll uh, these bad boys out week after week. I'm your host, Brendan Queeley. Alongside me this week are two of the finest sports writers in the northern Michigan area, specifically Traverse City. I would say Brett Summers and uh, James Cook, you guys, top three. Definitely top three. Thanks for really narrowing that down. Well, you know, it's as we've learned about data, you need to narrow those uh, subsets. So uh, I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to this episode and the previous episodes. Our ratings are actually starting to... Uh, shoot up a little bit in the last week and uh, we can only assume it is because of the good people like you out there spreading the word about this podcast so we really 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 appreciate that Uh, if you haven't yet make sure you check out the latest episode of the get around after dark in which we break down much of this past friday's prep football action including all three traverse city teams uh boyne city's win over elk rapids uh, Central Lake coming out on top in the Battle of the Unbeatens against Onekama, as well as Frankfurt, Glen Lake, Bel Air, Grayling, and much, much more. Also, make sure you check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash TCRE Sports and on Twitter at TCRE Sports. You can also find James Cook at James Cook 14. You can find Brett Summers at BA Sports Writer. I can only assume that the BA stands for badass. And myself, of course, I am at Brendan Queeley. Does it stand for bad- badass? It's Brett A. Summers, right? My middle initial is an A, but you can read between the lines. Yeah, there a badass bit. sports writer. All right, uh, so we've got a dandy of a show for you today. Uh, we're welcoming in our first guest to the offices of the Traverse City Record Eagle as we sit down and chat with Traverse City Central Athletic Director Mark Matson, uh, who has some breaking news about lacrosse possibly coming to Traverse City Central and Traverse City West, and he ignites the debate of ketchup versus gravy when it comes to pasties which I didn't know were a thing until I moved up here. Uh, but uh, we'll also we'll get to talk with Mark later on in the show, uh, but we also have some other important matters to get to. We'll take a deep dive into the postseason as we discuss all three Traverse City girls golf teams making it to state for the first time in history, as well as St. Francis and Central picking up some regional titles ahead of state championship action. We'll also do a little dancing on the playoff bubble as we check in with prep football teams that might be on the outside looking in if they can't get a win in Week 9. We've got an absolute lock for the Get Around Hall of Fame this week, but we will go through the whole rigmarole and uh, offer up our three nominations before we give it to Justin Nicholas from Grayling, right? That's what we're going to do. It's a secret. Okay, okay, everybody be quiet. Until later. Don't say anything about Justin Nicholas definitely getting Athlete of the Week. Uh, so we'll check in uh, with the biggest games of the week as the 8-0 St. Francis Gladiators take on the 8-0 Boyne City Ramblers on Friday. We'll also break down Central's matchup against Cadillac and West Contest against Coldwater as the Titans vie for their own perfect 9-0 season. But before we get into any of that, let's get a feel for the heartbeat of the sports world as we check in with The Pulse. It was reported last week that a Chicago Cubs 2016 World Series championship ring was up for sale on the auction site Leland's. Although the opening bid was an appropriate $1,908, kind of an homage to the last time the Northsiders won the World Series before last year, the bidding had reached $65,000 before the ring was pulled from the website on Saturday. Now, I've got kind of a dual question here for you guys. 
If you were in possession of a World Series championship ring from your favorite team, or I would let's not say World Series, so let's just go a World Championship ring from your favorite team, would you sell it if you were hard up enough for money? And then two, is there a prized piece of sports memorabilia that you own that you consider priceless? Well, my first question is, what's the definition of hard up? Like, are we talking living in a, in a cardboard box behind the bowling alley or just struggling maybe on a paycheck-to-paycheck basis? No, you haven't been to Hawaii yet this year, and so you're like, how am I going to get the money to go to Hawaii? And then you're like, maybe I'll sell this championship ring. In that case, I'm hanging on to the championship ring for sure, yeah. So you value, value the championship ring over a quality vacation with your wife and daughter to Hawaii. This is what you're, That's what you're telling me. I'd find another way to save the money for the trip. And as far as that uh, prized piece of uh, memorabilia, um, I have a, a particular uh, photograph, a framed photograph that hangs on my wall at home. It's uh, from Brett Favre's last season with the Green Bay Packers. It's done in a black and white fashion as he's exiting the tunnel to enter Lambeau Field. So it kind of Gives the impression that you know he's he's wrapping up his career. He's he's uh, ending his time in Green Bay, and then it uh, it's uh, got his big gold autograph across the middle of it. So you know, basically, growing up my entire life cheering for that guy, and uh, you know, obviously following the Packers, and uh, that you know that's one that I I don't really foresee myself uh, ever letting go of. Plus, it's in black and white, and you should be happy that it was that picture of Brett Favre and not the other pictures of uh, Brett Favre that were wandering around out there at some point. Glad I didn't get any of those. No? no. Yeah, they would be weird. James, what about you? You got anything that's... Uh, you've got so much stuff in your house that it's... Uh, it, it's the, the walls are crowded, I would say. Is there anything that you look at and go, oh, I can't get rid of this? Uh, yeah, a lot of that stuff is stuff that I've just picked up here or there or, you know, bobbleheads from going to baseball games, like that. Uh, I would say the most, uh, maybe the most prized thing is uh, uh, I went to a Chicago Cubs game one time and uh, took my nephews when they were really young. Uh, the first time I'd ever been to Wrigley, first time they'd ever been to Wrigley, we went to a game and it was Ferguson Jenkins night. And they handed you a baseball card when you went in, of Ferguson Jenkins. This is a reproduction baseball card, not worth anything. And... We were, I was, my nephews were pretty young at the time, taking them to the, to go to the bathroom, and we ran into Ferguson Jenkins on the concourse, and he signed the baseball cards for us. Wow, I was gonna say that even if like it would still be pretty cool because it would say it's something that reminds you of a, a pretty cool moment with your nephews, just going to a ball game with your nephews. I know that I've got four yeah. nephews myself, and if I were to go to a baseball game with them. I think anything that I got that day I would keep just because it was such a cool moment to be there, you know, the first time take, you know, with your nephews going to a game. But good Lord, to run into Fergie Jenkins and then get him to sign that, you know, on the concourse, mm-hmm. that's pretty baller. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I just thought it was pretty cool. And then, you know, yeah, it's, it's a family thing, you know, with the nephews and everything, uh, experience with them when they were young. And, but I don't know if I'd be, I don't know if I would sell the, uh, the championship ring either. Who's your favorite team, James? Like your favorite sports team? The, the one that I would want to win a championship the most? Yeah. Uh, just because of the history, I would have to say the Lions, because, you know. They haven't yet. 1957. Oh, it was 1957 the last time they, they won F- a championship. 57, yeah, before it was called the Super Bowl. Right. Did they make rings back then? I think they did. I think they still made, had championship rings, but. That was me pounding the table this time. Yeah, yeah. So I kicked it. I didn't pound it. I kicked it on accident. So, 
uh, Brett, we asked you this question, or I think we were discussing this earlier. You've got, you know, your Wisconsin Badgers right now are sitting at number five in the latest college football rankings. If they were to win a national championship and for some reason they were like, oh, I remember Brett Summers one time he went to this school, we're going to go ahead and give him a, a championship ring. Uh, would you at, you know, some point sell that if you had to? Or, well, I guess what I was trying to get at are are the Badgers your favorite team or is it the Packers? Because we tried to discuss. I tried to get you to tell me before, and you haven't really given me an answer. It's really hard to separate the two. You know, I think, I think for a lot of people, once you you know commit to a school and go there and experience it, like you know the difference between college and pro is while you may not have played on that college team, you know you were still a Badger or a Spartan or a Wolverine or whatever school you went to, and unless you make that pro team, you were never really part of that team. You were just a fan. So I guess that's sort of where the major distinction comes in. But I mean, I I watch both programs uh, equally throughout my entire life and been to games in both you know in stadiums for for both teams and uh so it's still really hard for me to to uh pick between the two you know going back to that memorabilia one other thing that pops in my head i'm pretty sure that i still have the ticket stubs for my first packers game which my dad took me to when i was about 10 years old i just remember him waking me up sunday morning he had not told me we were gonna go and uh i i remember him coming in being like Hey, you know, you want you want to wake up? I'm like, it's so early still. <laughs> I don't know what time it was, but uh, he's like, well, what do you think about going to a Packer game today? And I just remember my eyes like flying wide open, being like, are you serious? And uh, so yeah, we went. They played the Buffalo Bills. I'm pretty sure I have those tickets stubbed somewhere, and you know, those would be something I wouldn't want to let go either. Even though, you know, other, it, it's pure sentimental value for those for sure. Yeah, uh, ticket stubs. I think is something. Every everybody collects whether it's from concerts or going to games or anything like that. I know that I that I have uh, you know a lot of my ticket stubs and I still have the ticket stubs from the first time that I went to a game. It was myself, my older brother, my dad, and my grandpa. We went to a White Sox versus Royals game, uh, and that was as at the old Comiskey while they were building the new Comiskey. So it was pretty it was cool to to see that. Uh, but what's different now is that when you buy tickets, you're you're not. You're not always getting those, like the actual tickets anymore. You're printing out something with a barcode on it, and that kind of uh, that kind of takes away from it uh, a little bit. So I know that yeah, unless you're the season ticket holder, you probably aren't getting that that original that original piece, that original ticket. Unfortunately, yeah, gone are the days of like getting waiting for that envelope to arrive in the mail and then opening it up and seeing those tickets that we know with the perforated edges and just. You know how excited it's going to be when someone takes that ticket and you know either rips it or scans it. It's uh, yeah. The I know that the most sports memorabilia that I have is from the two thousand and five Chicago White Sox when they won the World Series. Uh, I have a game used ball that is encased in like a nice plastic case. Uh, I actually got, have dirt from the uh, Minute Maid Stadium. Is it still Minute Maid where the Astros play? What's it called now? Anybody? Nobody? All right. Well, if you know, let us know on Twitter. Um, but I have that. I have dirt from, uh, from uh, the infield because that's what they won uh, in Houston. Uh, I have a bat. It's one of only 2,500 ever made. Uh, it's laser engraved with all of the White Sox players' signatures. I have the front page of each Chicago newspaper 
uh, framed. What else do I have? Um, it is still Minute Maid, by the way. It is still Minute Maid. Okay, thanks for looking that up. I appreciate it. You're on, right on the ball. Oh, I have a replica World Series ring, which I got when I went to the uh, the ring ceremony game the following season. So, I mean, oh, I have confetti from the parade because I went to the parade and I have the actual like confetti from the the cannons that they were shooting out as the parade was going down. For some reason, I was like, oh, I have a Ziploc baggie on me, so I'll just scoop up some. It was it's kind of pathetic. Like, I know you guys are kind of looking at me a little weird. It's Did little... you have your dogs around? Were those doggy bags? No, Is they that... were not doggy bags. They were, I, I had actually planned this out. I had said to myself, I'm like, I'm taking home some confetti. So I brought it with me on the train. It, it's, I, it, there was a time when I didn't have a lot going on in my life, and the Chicago White Sox were pretty much all that was going on. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, really cool... Uh, sports memorabilia and I think that's what's so nice about sports is you have a connection to your team you have a connection to players but then you also have a connection to stuff so you've got a connection with the Fergie Jenkins cards you've you know you've got a connection with those ticket stubs you know when your dad took you to the uh, to the Packer game and it's not so much about the stuff, but it is what the stuff represents, and I think that's what's so cool about it is that I, I think that's why I still have, you know, the the World Series baseball and the World Series ring and ticket stubs sitting on my dresser at home, like out, just for me to uh, to kind of look at. One of the, oh, oh, I'd say one of the more uh, unique pieces of sports memorabilia that I have is uh, at my old job, I followed the Fisher Bunny softball team. And they, it was a school of about 140 kids, and they made a run to the state championship. And they, at the, at the end of the season, after everything was over, they finished in fourth place in state. Uh, they actually gave me a state medal, a fourth place state medal. They brought me to uh, the awards ceremony and gave me that. And I have that, and I have it hanging off the, uh, my rear, uh, rear view mirror. And I also have the, uh, a couple of the front pages I printed out that I had designed onto cardstock, and I had all the players sign it, and then I framed those, and I've got, I have those hanging up in my room. And that, what it does, it represents to me uh, a really, just a special time in my career following this team and, you know, getting to know all those players and, and getting close to them and, you know, on a kind of to the point where, you know, I was like, well, I can cheer for them, you know, and, and, I, and I did, and it was, uh, it was, total lack of professionalism but I didn't care I mean I was the you know it, it, there was no one else there to kind of chastise me so I was like yeah I'm just going to enjoy the ride with this team so it was uh yeah that was you know those are uh those are pretty cool as well yeah, as far as the ticket things I, th- I when I'm if I'm going to go to an event and I'm looking and I'm you know going to StubHub or eBay or whatever and I'm buying tickets I, I will if, even if it's paying a couple bucks more I will buy the one that is an actual ticket stub rather than a, a printed out sheet with a barcode on it, like you said. Um, just because that, that keepsake, that reminder of, you know, that experience is just, uh, it's just something I'd, I'd rather have. Yeah, because it's not, I'm not going to, you know, hang a printed out piece of paper with a barcode on it on my wall, you know, but I will take a, a, a an actual ticket and take like a thumbtack or something and put it through on like a corkboard or something like mm-hmm. that and, and keep it keep it around so I've got tickets to uh, Cubs 
Braves game that I never ended up going to because the games got canceled by the strike. But I decided, oh, but I decided cool. to not read. To, you know, I could have got went and got my money back yeah. from the Cubs, but I decided not to. So I kept these tickets, and I still have tickets to this game that were canceled from the strike. Those are really cool to have. Yeah, that what the strike was back in what ninety four, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah cool. I won them at like an auction at a at a golf outing. Oh, type nice. thing. Yeah, and uh, so I don't know if I would be able to get my money back anyway, but. I probably could have gone to the team and got face value for him, but I was like, this is a pretty cool keepsake. Alrighty, well, let's move on to our over and under reactions. Uh, there are plenty of teams in our coverage area looking to add some championship hardware to their trophy cases, and several have already done so in the world of girls' golf and boys' tennis. Last week, we saw some new entries written into the Traverse City girls' golf history books as the West, Central, and St. Francis teams all punched their ticket to the state finals for the first time ever in the same year. The Titans, led by defending individual state champion Annika D in Division One, will head to Grand Valley State University and take on the Meadows with a team title well within reach. The Trojans, uh, who are highlighted by third place regional medalist Annalisa Hogue in Division Two, and they will travel to Battle Creek and hit the links at the Bedford Valley Golf Course. And then, of course, we have the Gladiators, who have top golfer Catherine Hopkins, who also had a third place finish in the Division Four regional, and they make the trek down to East Lansing and play the Forest Acres East Course at Michigan State University. So, over or under reaction, guys. Two state championship trophies, either individual or team, will come back to Traverse City. Not an overreaction at all. You know, I kind of, especially the way West has played this year, and especially when their full uh, roster is together, uh, which we, we've talked about before, hasn't always been the case, just in terms of scheduling issues and whatnot. I'm, I'm expecting Traverse City West to come back with a team title, and you know, I've seen nothing from Annika D uh, this season that leads me to believe she won't repeat as an individual titleist as well. So um, I'm going to say that you know Traverse City gets at least two champions out of, out of this weekend. Uh, just to kind of put things in perspective, Annika D's worst round this year is a 72, and that was par at the regional last week. That was her worst performance. I don't think of I've ever I've, I, don't, I don't think I've ever hit a 72 in my dreams. There was a time where I was happy when it was 72 for 9. You know, but she's, you know, she's out there, you know, sh- shooting under uh, 70 sometimes, uh, you know, over 18 and it's just impressive uh, you know what you get out of her. If if Annika doesn't win the individual state title, uh, it very well could be Ansi too. So you've got that option there as well. Her little sister. Yeah. Uh, so you've got that possibility as well. And then I think West, with its full complement, uh, is, is going to be a team that's going to be pretty darn tough to beat. I was a little surprised that the, uh, the, the Golf Coaches Association dropped West down to number seven because they didn't win a tournament or two because a couple of players were out. They didn't take that into consideration that I think Annika didn't play in one of the tournaments and they finished third or fourth or something in a tournament with a bunch of other ranked teams there. I feel like they, they probably weren't aware of that fact because I just don't see them dropping them down if they have that information privy to them. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong yeah. about that, but yet... Uh, yeah, it's possible that they simply looked at the team scores and didn't look at the individuals making up those team scores, so they weren't... Uh, they didn't know that Annika and was, was sitting out a couple, and then you've had the same thing from uh, all up and down the season. We've talked about this on previous episodes, is how head coach uh, Carl Gagnon has allowed them to take 
tournaments off ahead of the, the state championship, um, or in the regionals, of course, that everybody played in the regional, uh, just because to kind of give them, to take the pressure off a little bit as they're trying to balance academics as well as athletics. Mm, I so. think there was one or two, I think uh, one or two players might have missed some tournaments too, doing some college visits and things like that. And uh, I think that was the case uh, a week or two ago for one of them. Yeah, if they do, if West does take home a, a, a team state championship, that'll be two in the last three years. Uh, they won it in 2015, and I think they took, I think they took fifth place last year. But I know that uh, Annika D actually uh, won it, uh, and she hadn't, she didn't even know, she didn't know, know that she'd won it, uh, but she chipped out on the uh, on the 18th hole to win by two strokes. Um, they had. Uh, and I remember talking to her last year and just how kind of uh, excited she was, but also reserved a little bit, too. You know, she was happy that she won, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, that girl is, is so hard on herself that she was already looking to this year and is, has her eyes set on uh, an individual state championship her junior year this year and then probably her senior year as well. All right, moving on from golf to tennis, the St. Francis boys team made it a clean sweep at the regional last week, taking all flight championships and losing just 29 games between all eight singles players and doubles teams. The Gladiators finished the regular season ranked third in Division Four and are stacked from one singles to four doubles. So over or under a reaction here, St. Francis wins a team state championship. That, one, that one's a difficult one because they've, they've had teams that have been pretty stacked like this uh, in the last few years. And Division Four that they are in has a couple other teams that are likewise stacked um, from downstate. And uh, St. Francis has, just hasn't quite been able to get over the hump of those teams uh, at the finals. This, maybe this is the year they, they do it. I mean, they've got, uh, they've got certainly dominant play at the singles, and then and, and the doubles teams are, are nothing you can overlook at either. I mean, uh, how long did it take Nate Sodini to lose a match? I mean, it was... The season was almost the regular season was almost done before he lost a match, and he's at three singles. Yeah, and his first loss of the season came against uh, Okemos. St. Francis basically got their hat handed to him by by that Okemos team. But again, you have to understand that St. Francis is in Division Four, mm-hmm. and Okemos was is in Division Two, and uh, widely considered one of the uh, the best teams in the state. If you look at the last uh, couple of times down there for St. Francis too, um, you know they may have not come out on top in the end, but they would have several matches in there that were so incredibly close that you know one one small. Uh, thing here or there could have completely changed the results pretty dramatically. Um, so I think, you know, uh, head coach Paul Mandrowski's felt like the Gladiators have had an opportunity to win a state title. And, uh, you, you know, even though that hasn't come to fruition yet, I, mean, I would expect that they feel the same way going down there this year. Uh, and, I mean, it never never hurts to have a little bit of luck on your side once you get to those those final rounds. Yeah, and, and Paul said that he basically has three one-singles players on his team, and, and possibly four if you look at uh, just how well Joe Primo has done lately at four singles. I mean, the kid didn't lose a single game in the regional. He swept it, everybody, 6 6 But you have Andrew Gerling uh, at one singles, Elliot Bandrowski at two singles. We talked about Nate Sodini at three. They're just, it's, it's such a strong, strong team up top in, in singles. I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see what those kids do 
uh, come this weekend. It's uh, they've that they're so immensely talented. And and Elliot Bandrowski, I think, is a huge addition to that team. I mean, last year uh, he was hurt, uh, not obviously anywhere close to 100. percent Had to play doubles because he couldn't uh, couldn't hit the ground strokes, the long ground strokes, consistently. And so having him at two singles and still probably not at 100 percent. But, but pretty close and still dominating. That's just another addition to this team. And then at doubles for St. Francis, uh, at one, you've got Adam Chittle and Brendan Chenard. At two, you've got Sean Navin and Jack Klein-Richard. Three, uh, freshman Charlie Schmoody, uh, who has been fantastic this year, partnered up with Lou, uh, Lou Kirch, uh, Kirchmark. And then at four, you have Alex Thalen and Tyler Tafelski. I, all four of those have the possibility of, of going far in the state tournament and possibly bringing home hardware, yes? I would say definitely. Agreed. All right, now on to teams whose postseason futures are slightly muddied at the moment. As we head into week nine of the prep football season, the biggest of these question marks is Traverse City Central right here in town, which after Friday's loss to Birmingham Brother Rice sits at 5-3. and three. With that oh-so-important sixth win sitting just 48 minutes away against the Cadillac Vikings, who picked up just their second win of the season against Manistee on Friday. The latest projections from Snooze to You have Central being supplanted by Rockford, uh, which is uh, now slated to take on Traverse City West in the first round. Up until last week, it had been West versus Central, uh, uh, the projection anyway, on snooze to you. Other teams balancing on the bubble include Grayling, Johannesburg, Lewiston, Sutton's Bay, and Mesick. Those last two square off on Friday, so one goes on and one goes home. And then, uh, of course, you have Grayling taking on 4-4 four four Kalkaska, while Joburg battles 4-4 four four Harper Springs with their playoff lives on the line. So over or under reaction here, four teams get wins and make the postseason. So we can only have four fours at max because you have five, uh, but Sutton's Bay and Misik play each other. Not an overreaction. I think four teams are going to uh, move on. I think Sutton's Bay, Traverse City Central, Grayling, and Joburg are all going to pick up wins uh, this week and get that uh, get that s- clinching sixth victory. You know, I think maybe the team in uh, the most precarious situation is Grayling uh, playing Kalkaska, who's 4-4, four and four, and you know theoretically still fighting for their playoff lives uh, to, to get in by points. Uh, that one could just be really interesting because, as we've seen, uh, Grayling and Justin Nicholas throw the ball all over the place, and Kalkaska is uh, adept at doing so as well most, most nights. So that, that game might not get over until 11 o'clock. So are you looking at that one as uh, possibly just like the one that Grayling played against Benzie Central last week when it was, what, 58-46 to 46 or 56-48, to 48, something like that? It was some kind of crazy number where those two teams just went off offensively. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, you never know. Uh, Justin Nicholas might hit 700 yards this week. <laughs> it's I possible. Got, I'll try to give him a little more billboard material, but I've already got the kid, you know, uh, canonized in the uh, in the Get Around Hall of Fame. So, I mean, we'll, we'll be doing that in just a couple of minutes. But, uh, no, I think I think Sutton's Bay, you know, they're a little bit more of a complete team than Misik, although uh, Misik's been having, uh, you know, a solid year. Um, and, uh, you know, Central, I fully expect them to take care of business at home against Cadillac. Two and six team. Cadillac is 2-6, and six, uh, but they've made the playoffs seven in the last eight years. A bunch of the games that they've lost this season, they've been in. And, uh, you know, Coach uh, Eric Sugars mentioned that after Friday's loss to Brother Rice and just saying, you know, 
he has no concerns about Central taking this team lightly because they they know what they've done in the past, and you know obviously they're going to be coming into Thurlby with the mindset of playing spoiler and making someone as miserable to miss the playoffs as they will be. Uh, but that said, I just think Central's too talented, and they they've been, you know they want to keep this playoff string uh, of going and push it to four seasons. So. Um, I expect Central to win there. And Joburg, uh, I, I just think they'll take care of business against Harbor Springs. I haven't seen them play this year, but uh, that's, that's I guess, what my gut is telling me right now on that one. But going back to Central just really quick, they are such a talented team, but as we've seen this season, they just they have this knack for getting behind and then having to fight back. Do you think that that's kind of worn them out a little bit this season, and does that kind of play may be dangerous when they're going up against Cadillac, or do you think that they'll be energized enough by the fact that they are currently on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs to uh, to get going? Because really, I mean, having to fight like that for eight games, is it, it can drain you. It can. You know, I know they don't want to be playing from behind, but I think in the case of this team, I don't think that's the issue. I think these guys really believe that if they fall behind early, it's not really a big deal. Like, we'll get right back into it, we'll win the game, no problem. So as far as uh, energy-wise, I think they're fine. And with everything being on the line Friday, I expect a high level of energy from the Trojans as soon as they hit the field. I mean, obviously for Cadillac, if they could get an early lead, you know, from what we've seen earlier this season, that should keep them in the game until the end, which that leaves any possibility open as far as who wins, loses, and uh, whether just one or two team seasons potentially end uh, Friday night, but um, I just I would be I would be pretty shocked if Central does not come out ready to play and and uh, take care of business to make sure they extend their season at least one more week. James, what do you uh, see going into the the Grayling Kalkaska game? How do you kind of see that game breaking down? Yeah, I don't I don't know that it'll be as much of a shootout as the uh, Benzie game. I think uh, Kalkaska has got a little bit better defense. Uh, than than what Benzi has at this point, but but it's sure uh, both those teams like to throw the ball a lot too. Um, Kalkaska hasn't thrown it as much this season as they have in past years, but uh, they're still not shy about doing it if they have to. And and against Grayling's offense, they may have to. Um, so like Brett was saying, this game could could take a long time to finish. Um, but I, I see uh, I think I see all four of those teams getting in too. Grayling has had a, had a, had a habit in previous years of uh, finishing five and four. And getting in by virtue of having a pretty competitive schedule in a in a pretty good conference. The 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 eight man matchup between Sutton's Bay and Mesick. Uh, I got to witness my first eight man game uh, this past uh, Friday when I watched Central Lake take on Onekama. And man, is the field just opened up for offense when it when it comes to that game? I mean, you, you you're watching kids break runs for 40, 50, 60 yards. Um, and I mean, obviously. You know, Griffin Kelly has no problem doing that in 11-man football. With with Misek's kind of uh, resurgent uh, season, uh, do you think that they can get past Sutton's Bay, James? I, I think it's I think it's possible. Uh, Misek, even before they made the, the switch to eight-player football, um, ran kind of a wide-open spread offense, uh, which is kind of uncharacteristic for a school that small. Uh, they, used, they threw the ball a lot. Um, you got Ethan Humphreys at quarterback. His older brother was the quarterback before him when they were still uh, 11 player, and uh, and they they slung the ball all over. Then I think that can keep them in this game. Um, Sutton's Bay is obviously a, a good opponent for them, and, but uh, you know that should that should be one of the closer games of the 
of the week, I think. I mean, it's going to be overshadowed by some of the other games that we have going on, but it should be a, a quality matchup. It'll be nice if we have a close game because it seems like there really haven't been many. Certainly last week when we had all those blowout shutouts, which was just you know, kind of ridiculous. Um, teams just rolling over. I don't know if people are scheduling cupcakes for the last couple uh, weeks of the season, but uh, it, it, yeah, there were sure were some teams just uh, going to town uh, offensively on at the expense of some others. Yeah, I think um, kind of by the end of the season, I think you're having the haves and the have-nots are really, uh, you know, obvious. There's an obvious spread there as to to who the good teams are and who the good teams are not. All right, that leads perfectly into the Get Around Hall of Fame as we without question induct Justin Nicholas as our Athlete of the Week. I know there is a procedure to this, uh, so let's put up our candidates. I'll start with Nicholas, uh, pretty much a no-brainer here. Uh, of course, I thought that last week with Cole Blund, and that, you know, we all know how that turned out, so he didn't obviously make it. Uh, it's not that I'm upset or bitter about it or whatever. I'm just upset and bitter about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's got to be Nicholas, uh, the big righty, because he is a righty and not, as I said last week, a lefty. The big righty threw for si- uh, 616 yards and eight touchdowns. Uh, now, I've already kind of taken some credit for his historic performance on the get-around after dark and uh, just kind of saying that last week when I provided him bol- bulletin board material by downplaying his 400-plus yard performance, I was obviously joking about that. I mean, I'm not taking all of the credit for his performance. I mean, he did physically have to throw the ball and get those 616 yards. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly I, I pushed him mentally, and uh, I'll, I'm taking credit for that. I'm not, actually. Justin, you're a crazy, talented kid, uh, and uh, you deserve this this uh, this award, no doubt about that. Uh, no credit sitting here with me. It's all the credits on you, uh, as well as your uh, very talented and athletic teammates. Yeah, uh, no question. That stat line's crazy. 72 pass attempts in that game uh, would, would make uh, Drew Brees and his Purdue days proud uh, for that, for sure. You know, my, uh, my candidate is Skylar Spangler from Central Lake. He had 28 carries for 154 yards and five touchdowns in that uh, win against previously unbeaten Onekama. You know, I've got uh, I've got a, a vote in the eight-man polls, and I've got Central Lake sitting in the top five now. We'll see if the rest of the voters uh, pick up on that victory or not. But I see you, Trojans. Yeah, I've got uh, Griffin Kelly. I think this is at least the second time we've put him up. Um, but uh, this week he had uh, eight carries for over 200 yards and four touchdowns, so uh, a rate of getting a scoring a touchdown every two times you touch the ball is, uh, is pretty good. Yeah, and I think you sent us a text either yesterday or Saturday about Kelly, who's somehow averaging a ridiculous 12.25 yards per carry or something like that. 12.35, yeah, Three five, per sorry. carry for the season. That's just astronomical. I mean, uh, 109 carries is, is all he has in eight games. Right, and, and we talked about just how prolific the kid could be if, you know, he'd get the ball just a little bit more. Matt, leave him in the game in the second half. Come, Come on, on, Stapleton. You know, let the kid run wild is what I'm saying. You can blame it on the Frankfurt defense for not allowing other teams to score, so that way it's, it's 40 to nothing at halftime. You know, and, and, you know, and Kelly's not doing himself any favors by breaking off runs for 62 yards, 62 yards, 59 yards, and then returning a, a you know, I think a kickoff or a punt for a touchdown yeah. for, from 45 yards. So, you know, the only thing he left to do is an interception return for a touchdown, fumble recovery for a touchdown. And, I mean, if he's not doing that, he's kind of, I mean, what a slouch. 
honestly. He does have one defensive touchdown this year. <laughs> so, all right, well, uh, votes, guys. I am going to go with Co Blunt. I mean, Justin Nicholas, sorry. Nicholas. Nicholas. All right, congratulations, Justin Nicholas, of Grayling. Your historic performance gets you into the Get Around Hall of Fame. So congratulations right there. All right, although there is plenty left to be decided on the gridiron this week, the most intriguing matchup has to be St. Francis versus Boyne City. For a second week in a row, we are treated uh, or fortunate enough to have a battle of the unbeatens as those two 8-0 teams go up against each other. This past Friday, we saw Central Lake move to 8-0 and sent Onekama to 7-1 with a 42-28 victory on their home field. Uh, now, James, you've seen both St. Francis play. You've also seen Boyne City play. Now, what should we expect when these two teams collide on uh, come Friday? Um, you're going to see a lot of grinding it out, running the ball, pounding the ball between the tackles. Uh, you know, uh, St. Francis runs almost kind of a T offense, and Boyne runs kind of a, a wing offense uh, with some passing capabilities out of it. Um, they, whereas West uses mostly the tight end, you know, with guys like Hayes. Um, you know, they have Mason Gardner split out wide at wide receiver. And, uh, and we'll utilize him. I think that is maybe their biggest advantage that they have offensively is that Mason Gardner is going to be, uh, he's going to outmatch anybody on St. Francis defensively just because he is so tall as a, as a wide receiver. I mean, he's like 6'4", and St. Francis doesn't have anybody in the secondary who's nearly that big, although St. Francis had a good habit of coming up with interceptions this year. Their secondary has played really well. Um, it's interesting that... Uh, St. Francis will be wearing their home whites in this game on the road in Boyne City because it's Boyne City's pink out game, and their Boyne's going to be wearing pink jerseys uh, that, they'll, that they've sold uh, to raise money for the Cancer Society. Another team looking to finish the season 9-0 and is Traverse City West, but they are playing a cold water team that is also facing a winner-go-home situation. They're sitting at 5-3. and three. West hosts Coldwater in a Thursday night battle. Uh, and I'll pose this question to you, Brett. Would a l- loss hurt the Titans, putting them at 8-1, and one, or would the pressure of perfection being erased, would that kind of help? I think in this case it would hurt them. You know, I think not to say that, you know, Traverse City West is invincible, and I'm sure Tim Moore wouldn't want his team to feel that way. But I think their run and what they're doing is so special this year that it it has added to their confidence and a, a, level, a level of swagger on the field, even if they don't have a necessarily flashy style of play. Uh, and, I mean, they have no doubt about themselves being able to beat anybody out there. And I think to not finish this regular season undefeated, um, you know, the way they've marched to it at this point uh, would be a disappointment and maybe, uh, you know, obviously wouldn't end their season. But I think it might let, let the the wind out of their sails a little bit going into that first week of the playoffs. What's interesting about West is that they don't have a, like a star player, really. There, there's no one on there. there. There's no Kate Peterson. There's no Griffin Kelly. There's no Justin Nicholas. There's, uh, there, there's no Nick Apsey. There's nobody like that. You've got Ryan Hayes, obviously, who when you split him out wide and you know kind of loft the ball, when Sam DeKuyper lofts the ball up to that 6-7 you know, frame, uh, you've got some good things going there. But the, I, I think the, the strength of this team is just that. They're a team. There's so much of you know, this buy-in to playing together and playing for each other and not being worried about 
what my stats are or when I get the ball or who gets the ball or anything like that. There's the, the competition is bred into the team of, all right, well, if I do this, then I'll get the ball. And, hey, if my teammate does that and he gets the ball, that's fine with me as long as we're winning. And that just seems to be how they're, how they're going about business this year. And business is what this team is about. Football is their game. That's, that's why they are on the field. They want to play football. The Titans are absolutely selfless. There's there's no there's no me out there at all that you you can visibly see, and I I don't think there is even that you can't see. No, and you look at that just based on the fact that in the first four weeks of the season they had four different leading rushers on the team, uh, and they just it's they those those kids, although they may not show the most emotion out there, uh, they love each other, and you can you can tell. Um, but they are just, I think they just feel so blessed to be out there playing the game of football and now feel so blessed to just be a win away from perfection for the first time uh, since 2004. Obviously, you know, that they're going into the postseason hopefully as a, as a number one seed, and uh, they hope to avoid the same fate of the 2014, which lost in the first round of the playoffs. Um, but again, it's a, it's a team that is very technically sound, that is playing the game the right way, that has zero attitude on it, and, and just goes about doing what they do to get that win that week. And then after that win, they focus on the next week. That seems to be the, uh, the way that they do things. Yeah, I think you were talking about whether they win or lose this game, whether it's big or not. I think, it, I think it's pretty big for them. Um, I, I, you know, they're, they're obviously going into the, the postseason, I think, confident and, like you said, with some swagger. But I think it's an appropriate level of confidence I mean based on what they've done this season and I think maybe losing that last game would uh, maybe take a little bit of that they do have a perceived invincibility among them but like I said it's an appropriate level and it, and they might hurt that losing a game going into this to the playoffs on that plus it's just huge winning that game just to have the number one seed in the district uh, you'd be at home for a couple of weeks as long as you keep winning so it's, it's got big on multiple levels. I think the one thing that has really gone overlooked this season is the West defense, which is just smothering at times. It's shut out a couple of, uh, of its opponents and, and done such a great job of uh, keeping the other team off the field while keeping its offense on the field. They've, they, they, I think we, every coach says it, defense wins championships, and they've got, they've got a defense to do it. They're, I think they're on pace right now to deliver the third uh, best scoring defense in West history, so that's it's pretty solid. All right, other games on the docket this week include Sault Ste. Marie at Gaylord, Petoskey at Hazlitt, Elk Rapids at Sheboygan, uh, the aforementioned Grayling at Kalkaska, Sutton's Bay at Mesick, and Harper Springs at Joburg, East Jordan at Gaylord St. Mary, Mancelone at Charlevoix, Baldwin at Onekama, Kingsley at Benzie Central, Everett at Glen Lake, Forest Area at Marion, uh, the Battle of the Lakes between Central Lake and Bear Lake, and then Bel Air and Onaway. So we've got some good matchups there. Moving on, we had a chance to sit down last Thursday with Traverse City Central Athletic Director Mark Matson, who was gracious enough with his time to swing by the office here on Front Street and shoot the breeze with us for a while. Uh, Mark was a terrific guest with a lot of good insight about his job and the challenges that come with it. Uh, it was a really fun conversation, so please enjoy. Yeah, we were having a conversation a little bit earlier. I mean, I guess we'll start this right now since you, James, wanted to bring it up. But 
pasty. Let's talk about some pasty talks. Is that what I would, am I pronouncing it right? Is it pasty? It is pasty. It, and, and Mark here's a, a connoisseur. Absolutely. Born bred youper, you better have a pasty and uh, a palate for it, or you're not a true bred youper. Is yeah. it so ketchup or gravy? That seems to be the th the thing like that you can. There's only one. There's only one. It's only ketchup. It is only ketchup. Okay. Yeah. So for all of those people out there who put gravy on there, imposters. They're they're you put gravy on yours, James. Oh, I'm all about gravy. All right. So explain to me exactly what a pasty is because uh, I've seen places that sell them, uh, but I've never stopped in and, and, and bought one. A pasty is essentially a meat pie filled with all the goodies. Potato, rutabaga, green onion if you prefer. Um, that's onion. It's the way I like mine. I like my mom's. They're the best. And a nice flaky crust on the outside of that, that pasty or that pasty pie. And does she have like a special recipe for she it? She does. I is believe it, it goes back to my great-grandmother if I'm not mistaken. So I've had some pasties, but you know like most other meals, nothing really compares to mom's, right? So uh, our recipe's been in our family for a while. I've got, I've yet to have that handed down. I asked her about it this past weekend when she was in town and she'll get it to me but again I think it's my great-grandmother's and uh, so hopefully that, that recipe will live on in our family for a while and that's part of the beauty of it. Yeah I think food is often one of those big connectors in, in family. I know that when I was back in the south side of Chicago this past weekend my mom has a secret recipe for sloppy joes and she made those and they were absolutely delicious. I mean just totally I mean right on point. Um, and then there's kind of these food traditions that uh, pass down, get passed down, and I think, I don't know if uh, you guys all celebrate Lent, I don't know what uh, whatever uh, religion you happen to be, but my, my, uh, my grandmother's uh, Lenten meal on Friday used to be for my dad, so this was a long time ago, my dad's going on 68 years old, uh, and so the meal was those frozen, frozen fish, uh, fish sticks, SpaghettiOs, and scrambled eggs. Ooh, sounds familiar from my day. Does that sound familiar? Do you yes, ever eat some? Really? Without question, yeah. On the like, same plate? Yeah, on the same plate. Mix <laughs> it all together. <laughs> well, I mean, you're not mixing it together, but yeah, you kind of want it all to, to like marry together, and you know, you want the SpaghettiOs sauce on your scrambled eggs, and it's just. You told me about this before. This sounds horrible. It Horrifying. You can't knock it until you try it. It really is really really delicious in fact I talked about this when I was doing a radio show in college and I got so caught up in the moment of discussing the meal that I actually dropped the f-bomb on the air so thank god the dump button was close enough so they they knocked that one off great thing about a podcast is uh, well we can swear we're not going to we can and I can edit it out <laughs> so uh, but Mark uh, thank you so much for coming in I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule I know as an athletic director you kind of have your hands full all of the time. Uh, I kind of wanted to start off with uh, how long have you been in Traverse City and, and how did you end up here? Yeah, this is my going on my ninth year and I should say thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and speaking of busy schedules, I see you guys uh, on most of a nightly basis, one or all of you, so you, uh, you, you guys have the same type of schedule as we have. Busy days, busy nights, and it's what we do, right? Uh, so I, I, I came below the bridge to take an opportunity of an athletic director assistant principal position at Glen Lake. I had been at Marquette between going to Northern and then slipping down to Rhinelander, Wisconsin for my first year of teaching and then back to Marquette schools for 11 years, uh, five as a teacher and six as the athletic director. 
And then an opportunity, you know, uh, two years of my maybe 30 some at the time had been out of the UP and it was just a time to really look to have a change, advance the career, obtain some uh, assistant principal experience in case I ever wanted to consider, you know, going that route. And uh, so an opportunity presented itself at Glen Lake. Uh, we know Cody Inglis. He had called me one day while at Marquette and said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in something different, something fresh. And uh, so I had taken a look at the position. A couple of interviews later, was fortunate enough to, to get that position that I, that I held for five years until Cody Inglis's vacant position at Traverse City Central uh, became available and uh, inquired and took a look at that position. And here I am three years later, heading into my fourth year at Central already. So uh, it's been a fantastic eight years down here between the two schools and the people I've gotten to work with. And you know, you guys that are, that are in the sports world as well, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been fantastic. Does it feel like home? Do you feel like you're home here or are you still kind of getting your, uh, your feet settled a little bit? You know, strangely enough as it may seem, it does feel like home because I've said since I got here and people tend to agree that Traverse City is much like a bigger Marquette. Uh, and it really is true, it's, it still has that northern, you know, smaller town feel. Um, so, you know, the people were accepting right off the get-go when I got out to Glen Lake and, and has been any difference since I got to Central and, you know, it's, uh, we still have those, those Midwest and Northern values and so I, I attribute the UP or uh, Lance, my hometown, or Marquette uh, much to Traverse City, but I do like the, the you know, the, the bigger city living in a sense of Traverse City compared to the UP. Yeah. Did you take any trips here growing up or, I mean, how familiar were you with Traverse City other than knowing a little bit about the school district? Yeah, great question, Brett. I wasn't too familiar. You know, you hear about the Sleeping Bear Dunes, but I hadn't been to it. I had heard about, you know, as the MHSA commonly refers to when they're in tournament play, Maple City Glen Lake, uh, you know, so that, that term of the school was... Um, familiar to me. A couple of trips here between uh, basketball and hockey when I was the AD at Marquette, um, but not uh, no real extended trips beyond that other than down and back from, from to and from a sporting event. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you mentioned the Maple City Glen Lake thing. Do they, do they say that in Glen Lake? Because we always just say Glen Lake. Yeah, we all say Glen Lake. And I actually at one time had asked, you know, the MHSAA, uh, why do we do we refer to that as Maple City Glen Lake? Can we just shorten that? Um, so when we were in tournament play, I would try to make sure that schools outside of the area that would refer to us as Maple City Glen Lake, you know, here's our game program and our roster, any media coverage or broadcasting, if you could just refer to us as Glen Lake, we'd appreciate that because, you know, essentially it's the, the four towns that make up Glen Lake School uh, and not only Maple City. So. It was really important to us for in terms, or at least to me, and I think I speak for the people out there, uh, that the identity of, of Glen Lake being one, uh, encompassing all four towns was, was really important. But on the other hand, from the MHSA perspective, I understand they typically identify come tournament play with said school's hometown uh, or, or base town, base city being Maple City. How important do you find it to, uh, for your school, your program, your athletics to uh, connect with its town? Do you, uh, uh, do you kind of take that as a, it's a family thing, we're bringing this all together? Is that what you try to, uh, try to create there? Yeah, I think that's really important. That's, that's also a fantastic question, Brenda. Uh, you know, school, it, 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 as they say, it takes a village and uh, it really is a community from, from whatever it is it may be, whether we're raising kids through through academics or through athletics or through fine arts, um, you know, we're, 
we're all in this together and it really does take a community to to educate our kids and help our youth grow so it, it really has to be a community a family type feel because we're in it together yeah the uh the relationship between you know traverse city central uh and the relationship that you have with the student athletes how is that kind of different from what the coaches get? Do you get to know the student athletes very well? I mean, because you're in a Division One school, so it's a big school that you're taking care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's kind of your relationship with the student athletes? Yeah, well, you know, as as you know, we have hundreds of them, and about thirteen hundred plus in our school. So it's 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 tough to get to know every single student, um, you know, by name uh, and conversation because, you know, busy positions and uh, going in a, quite a few different directions, but. You know, I try to get to know as many as I can, and a lot of times, uh, you know, if they're if they're in the office or such, or or I get that relationship with them. You know, that's one thing. Others, I'll know by face and know by sport. As as compared to coaching, you know, when you coach a sport or multiple sports, you really have that everyday interaction, and it becomes basically, you know, your own family when you're in the coaching realm, and you know those kids and their families inside and out. Uh, which is fantastic. I, I really miss that piece of coaching. Uh, as an AD, you get to the, the benefit there is now you're 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 encompassing all sports, all programs. So you get to know as many of those kids and and the programs across the board as possible. So it's uh, it's a little different. The the intimacy of coaching, you really get to know your players. And uh, you know, I, I it's funny because. Somebody had said one time, you'll know you made a difference in coaching when that first wedding invitation uh, gets to your mailbox. Sure. Yeah. And that is so true that when you, when those kids grow up and they come back and, and all of a sudden you're being invited to their weddings and uh, to be a part of their their family, uh, that, that really is something special about coaching. Um, and, and you know, you f- don't feel that as much as an athletic director, um, but fortunately, I guess I've, uh, I've, I've built strong enough relationships that some of those wedding invitations uh, still come in. So either way you, you, you slice it, being a coach or, or my position as an athletic director, uh, we're really able to make have an impact on kids. So not to not to put you on the spot, Mark, but uh, you know both as an athlete, you know, be it on the the field, the court, whatever, and just shrinking it down to your time at Central. You know, who would you say is your favorite athlete to watch? And then who is a student athlete within the school that in your time there you've just gotten to know really well and, you know, always enjoyed interacting with off of the playing surface? Oh, goodness. I don't know if I can narrow that one down, Brett. Um, In terms of sports, I mean, obviously I enjoy them all. People often ask me, what's what's your favorite sport to watch? And, uh, you know, I I throw people for a loop when I say this, and I'm going to say it. And I and I and I and I mean this. It's cricket, right? Is that what you were saying? Your favorite sport to watch. <laughs> one of is my cricket. favorites. <laughs> one of my favorites to attend and to watch, honestly, is equestrian, and I tell people that. So you know, it's just so peaceful, and horses are beautiful, and those kids that you know don't get a lot of uh, you know, big crowds and that sort of thing. A Saturday morning with a coffee, um, you know, maybe after a home Friday night football game, and just sit in the sunshine and and, and watch is very peaceful for me. Um, you and know, you don't have to worry about everything because they kind of set everything up. Yeah, right? they do. <laughs> they they run the show, so I'm able to just show up and be a spectator and a supporter there, which is awesome. You know, in terms of any given athlete, I mean, we've got so many. You know, the 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 nice part about some of them, and there's too there are really too many to name. Is you know when they're involved in other things like let's say for example student senate, and those kids are coming down and talking about ideas in your school, and they're student athletes. You know. 
um, and they're they're in my office one-on-one uh, -on -one or a group of them and myself and just having conversation or talking about you know upcoming initiatives or ideas you know those are the people that I find that I'm really able to connect with the academic side but they're student athletes so not only do I get to watch them on the court but but uh, you know as, as far as students sent in the classroom as well and then being the assistant principal side and you know visiting classrooms and doing some observations there just watching how our student athletes interact uh, inside those classroom walls in the academic day is, is special too. Um, you know, I, 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 I struggle to name any one student specifically, but there, there are so many neat kids and that's the beauty of our profession. Yeah. How do you deal with uh, conflict situations? Uh, you know, uh, you know you obviously as the athletic director, you've had to deal with hirings, firings, resignations, things like that in the past. Uh, how do you deal with the conflict between uh, student athletes, parents, and coaches. What's kind of the the mediation that you do there? Because we're seeing that right now. Certainly, out in Kingsley, we're seeing a little bit with uh, the hiring of James Brumfield as the basketball coach there. And I know that you had dealings with Brumfield as well um, uh, back when uh, Heather Simpson was uh, the head coach of the girls' basketball program. Just kind of wondering. Uh, I want to kind of pick your brain about that because right now that's kind of a, it's pretty much the talk of the town. I'd say right now. How do you deal with conflict like that? Yeah, you know, you facilitate and you mediate and uh, you just try to come to an agreement. You know, sometimes uh, we agree to disagree, right? Um, you know, as an AD, you know, people want, we all want the best for our students and uh, nobody can disagree with that, whether you're a parent or whether you're a coach, uh, an AD, a teacher. Uh, so we all want what's best for kids. And so sometimes when that conflict arises uh, between, you know, student athlete and coach or parent and coach or whatever the case may be or coach to coach um, coach to parent you know try to sit in the room try to at least have a conversation and most importantly not let things fester and boil and have you know bleacher chatter and and dinner table talk as I like to say because you know honestly those kinds of things in my opinion uh, we don't find resolve there let's sit down, let's be face to face, and, and let's have a conversation. At the end of the day, I find that more often than not, uh, you know, you can get more resolve and more um, remedy to situations by just talking things through and being on the same page. I mentioned earlier that it, it, it takes all of us, and so we've gotta make sure we're on the same page. At the end of the day, we're, nothing, it's not gonna be perfect. People are gonna make mistakes. People aren't gonna be happy. People will have, or people may have the best experience of their lives. Uh, but we've got to keep things in perspective, realize that sports is a small piece of the, of the big picture, even though we all want to play, we all want to win, we all want to be successful. Um, and I think there are, are just in educational athletics a ton of variables that can go into, uh, into, what, into how we define success. How did you come to peace with the fact that you can't please everybody all the time? And coming from someone like me, I been raised by people pleasers and I'm a bit of a people pleaser myself so I always want to make sure that everybody's happy and okay but that's an impossibility especially in your job uh, how did you come to peace with that yeah uh, I would call myself I think a people pleaser as well I just want to try to solve issues and, and, and make things um, okay for people I think I, that's always been who I am um, but you know I probably was really early in my I would say AD career I don't know if I noticed it as much as a coach and a teacher um, as, as when I became an AD so I would say in terms of timeline probably really early in my athletic director career that 
you know you try to do the best you can and, and sometimes at the end of the day you're just that, that, that some of that conflict you know you, you try to keep it at bay and just try to get people to understand and have uh, the best experience they can but um, you know it, it's it's that's been a battle and I think it just goes with the territory and goes with the profession that you've got so many personalities in, in that come into play that you just got to do the best you can and, and realize that you know not everybody's gonna be happy but uh, do the best you can to, to provide the best experience that you can. Yeah. Right. Was there kind of a specific incident that brought you to that conclusion, or was it a combination of things? <laughs> Good question, Brett. I think uh, a combination of things, but I, I had a tough incident, uh, I would say, one of my first couple of years um, in, uh, in my first AD position where, you know, the town thought a student athlete should participate after leaving a, a previous team, non-school, uh, affiliated team and uh, that that program had you know had maybe 45 or so I don't remember now it's been quite a while uh, kids try out for the team and uh, you know they kept 20 or whatever the case was 21 and and then um, you know the, this, this particular student athlete appeared and and I had you know I, I had said no because my gut told me I, I, why we must not have room for the kid on the team if we had if we had, uh, you know, 20 some kids caught. And that, I thought that was the natural choice and that did not go over well. Didn't go over well, I think maybe with, uh, with some of our, you know, coaches close to that particular sport and some people in the community were, you know, this is the way we've always done it. And, and I said, I'm you know, sorry I'm new, but my gut tells me there's 20 some kids walking our halls that just got cut from the team. And if we need somebody, I thought we would maybe go back to the last kid or maybe this second to last kid that we sure. didn't take sure. um, and that, that did, wasn't popular wasn't popular at all um, but you know I had great advice to take the high road and and uh, stay the course and I did and, and, and as far as I'm concerned that was probably the moment where I realized holy smokes I was just a teacher and a coach here and now I just kind of caused a little bit of a stir un with you know unintentionally and uh, stayed the course thanks to some great advice and and uh, in my opinion, a number of years later, that probably worked out to be a fantastic choice. Yeah, there's just so much passion between you know behind athletics, uh, especially in high school. It seems that there there's so much um, opportunity for maturity and growth there, and there's also the competitive aspect of it in which everybody wants to win. You know, there there's no one out there saying. Uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, we're, we're doing this to lose. How much when you are hiring a coach uh, or, or looking at a coach, do you look at uh, this, you know, this person can uh, not only help us win, but can help the student athletes grow as, as student athletes and, and as a person? Yeah, I think you just nailed it. I mean, everybody wants to win. There's no doubt about that. And there can be successful coaches with win-loss records and you know, and you might hear about things they, you know, maybe about integrity or, or how they treat people, right? So when I get somebody in the room, or we, I should say, usually I've got a team with me, uh, we are looking for somebody that's going to give our, our school, our programs, the best chance that they can succeed. And that's on the playing surface. And that is also in the classroom, off the court, in our community. Uh, so we want somebody that's going to excel in, in, in coaching, but we also want the best teacher of the sport and the best teacher of life in that position that we can find. So uh, I, I firmly believe that as much as it is about X's and O's, it's about building character in kids and, and teaching them how to be productive members of our society and contribute to our community. Uh, how, how much does the, the rivalry between Central and West 
come into play and stuff. I mean, uh, you know, you've got, I mean, in every sport, except for, I think as Brett brought up when we were talking before the show, except for swimming, you have the rivalry between Central and West. Yeah. How, how much of a focus is that? Boy, I did not know what a great rivalry this was while I was, well, A, at Marquette, but B, at Glen Lake. And it didn't take me long when I got here to figure out that, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a nice rivalry that they've built here over the years. And, uh, you know, I, I, I joke with people I, I'd seen on the news uh, maybe a couple of years now that, you know, people were discussing about maybe changing Division Street to Water Street or Bay Street or something like that. And, and I thought well, it seemed fitting because it kind of runs into the bay. And, and then I got to, I got to get to this position and realize that rivalry, and I, I've started to think, boy, Division Street really is a fitting term for that street because it divides. You know, that is our divider line from between Central and West. And you know, the the rivalries in those sports. A it, it, to start, you know, we're all teacaps. That's got to be the bottom line, and, and and we're all teacaps kids. My my heart and my days are over at Central, but. You know, as an as an administrator or an educator, an employee of the district, you know, I, I I look to the other side of the street as well, and and I want what's best for those kids. I want West to win every game, just not against Central. You know, that sort of thing. But um, the the rivalry is important. At the end of the day, I, I talk about perspective, and I think we've got to make sure we keep in mind that you know we are we are still sports as as heated as some of these rivalries can be. You know, there's nothing better than a, than a hard-fought battle on the playing surface and watching some of these kids who play travel ball together uh, or our friends, uh, despite the color of the jersey, uh, are, are together. And, you know, you watch the hugs going through the handshake, and, and really that's what it's about, battles inside the boundary lines and friendships outside of it and, and being good people. So it's just really been kind of neat to be part of. Um, but it's also neat to be uh, to see that you know just to have the two schools in the same school district and, and at the end of the day hope that hope that they can get along and be friends and and uh, be one at the end of the day as TCAPs people. Take take us a little bit into your relationship with West Athletic Director Jason Carmine and I know you, you as you just said I'm sure both of you are you know concerned about the students student athletes on both sides but you know. What's what's the rival personal rivalry like there? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you guys do a little trash talking uh, to the side. You know, we don't really. We'll we'll jab each other a little bit, but you know, not really. I, I honestly, I don't remember uh, an outcome in my three plus years where either one of us have jabbed the other uh, about the the win or the loss or that sort of thing. Really, don't. It's usually a, like uh, you know, a good luck tonight, or if somebody if if somebody wins a regional game or something, we're. We're generally really happy for the other, and we'll shoot a text or give a call in the next day. So, you know, Jason and I work really, really well together. We talk probably a hundred times a day. We pick each other's brain, or we've got situations, or just a lot of things we need to a be on the same page about, b rely on each other, and that's kind of another benefit of having another athletic director within your district. I mean, because you're kind of co-tackling a lot of these things, regardless if it's your own school or if it's on the other side of town. So, uh, he and I work really well together have a strong relationship and at the end of the day we want what's best for our kids and for our community and for our schools. Uh, you and I were at the uh, the West Central Volleyball game last night and I've been, b before I came to this job, uh, I covered a couple of schools and the rivalry between two of them uh, was very, very heated. Like there was actual animosity between the students uh, and what I thought was, you know, funny last night was looking at the, the 
the student sections for both teams were right next to each other. Yeah. And you had that going on, and you had them chanting back and forth. And at one point, your central kids, which I thought in a, a stroke of genius, started chanting, where's your rock, uh, yeah. at the other. Yeah. And it was, and <laughs> I see you kind of cringe at that, but I, I, I had a laugh, because I thought it was, I mean, that's, you know, kids coming up with that and, and doing that. Uh, how do you kind of handle the, the student fan sections uh, when, if, uh, have you ever seen anything get out of control, or do they kind of seem to, to like each other? Yeah, you know, it, 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 it depends on how you look at it, really, to be honest. I, I had a feeling that we were building that one up to start that cheer at the first possible moment. And, you know, I, I honestly, due to the sensitivity of that subject and, you know, it's, it's uh, and the people that we work with, uh, I, it, I kind of walked that way and was like, no, 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 not the right time, you know, <laughs> not the right time. And the, the great thing is, is that the, our students will look at us or w will look at me and, um, you know, I, I'm grateful and I'm appreciative because generally when we make that eye contact or whatever, they are very respectful and I think that they know um, what I like and approve of and what I don't like and approve of and I would say that 9.9 times out of 10 they will respect when I'm like no 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 you know be it did you give them that look last night with the I did I, took, I, I didn't catch on at first where, what it was I think I was talking to Mr. Carmine and then I, I, I realized it registered and so I walked that way and I was like no 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 and I had about 10 or 12 sets of eyes looking at me and they stopped it and you know, and then, uh, you know, I talked to one of the student senate leaders a couple minutes later when she was uh, making her way over by area, and I'm like, no, not that one, please, come on. And uh, she said, I know, we couldn't, you know, couldn't wait for it and, you know, had to do it. And so generally they've been pretty, really respectful. You know, the, the typical central one is open campus and West is, is uh, go hard or go to central, you know. So they never really get so heated that we've got to intervene it's it, to us it's you know a lot of those are fun and i'm trying to loosen the reins because i'm usually the fun police to make sure it's appropriate um, but i think overall in my time the kids have been pretty respectful they get after each other and fun but you know as soon as it we feel like it crosses the line to to not being respectful um, you know then, then we'll we'll make our way over there namely when they try to address a kid on the court. Well, now I feel bad that I thought it was funny. I was <laughs> yeah. laughing last yeah. night, and I thought it was, I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's good, kids. Maybe we ought that's to take a poll. I might wonder how many of the gym. <laughs> that's pretty genius. <laughs> well, I, I got to ask, Mark, I mean, look back to when you were growing up. I mean, where would you have been within the student section if it wasn't your sport that was playing? I mean, what, were you towing the line a little bit? Probably front and center with those kids. You know, probably the front row, Brett. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I was there, much like a lot of the things that go on. I remember those days. So, you know, you're an educator, you're an administrator, but, it, you know, you think back to those days and you just got to chuckle because, uh, you know, however many years later, I think I was probably that same kid. Chaining the equivalent of, the Marquette equivalent of, Reliance equivalent of where's your rock? Yeah, well, yeah, yelling over to Berga. Yeah, you, that's probably yeah. what it was. I don't remember the chance, but. I'm sure a few of my friends can kick up a couple. Yeah. yeah. Another thing kind of sort of rivalry-related but not Central West is uh, I get people ask me a bunch of times, why do Central and West not play St. Francis in football? And I, I, I try to explain it to people, but what, what would be the positive for Central or West to play St. Francis in football? Well, I, th I mean, I think the positive is obviously it's a local game. It's, um, you know, you've, it's going to be a nice crowd. Um, 
just like Central and West. I'm sure Central uh, St. Francis or West St. Francis would drum up a nice crowd. The tough thing is, you know, with playoff points and the way it's structured right now, it, 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 it really, you know, you've got to win the game. And St. Francis is a traditional, strong football program, right? So they've got everything to gain by, by not only beating one of us, but uh, defeating a Division One or Division Two football school. So the points rack up on their side and not so much the case, you know, for West or Central because we're playing a smaller division school um, and you know if, if, if you win you should if you don't win what what happened right uh, but a lot of it in terms of football really comes down to, uh, to to those playoff points and needing to get those six wins and build the playoff points for, for the seating mm -hmm. I mean, so essentially and this is kind of what I try to tell people is that there's really nothing for Central West to gain aside from a, maybe a little bit better bottom line, bottom line or gate yeah, that I would week. say, yeah, undoubtedly the gate would be strong, and that would be an awesome game for St. Francis to put on their schedule because, uh, you know, mm -hmm. they, it's in town, it's at their home stadium. They they are a very strong program. I great respect for them and what they've done for a number of years. Uh, but you're exactly right. They, they can rack up big football playoff points under the current format, and West and Central just, just wouldn't, it would count toward one of our six wins, but it wouldn't give us uh, a great, it wouldn't add greatly to our playoff average. Um, what, what is the, how close or far away is uh, the addition of lacrosse as a varsity sport, yeah. Central or West? Great question, James. Um, hot off the press um, as of a meeting yesterday and some information doling out today um, is, is very close to answer the question. So we've had, uh, you know, the, the lacrosse has been knocking on the door for a number of years. We've had various conversations over the course of my three, probably with steam picking up within the last maybe year or two, and definitely within the last year, as you know. And so the, 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 the discussion uh, with transparency has really been Trojan lacrosse, Titan lacrosse, and um, and that was really the, the direction uh, that it had been going and steamrolling. And then when we really got a closer look and said, yeah, lacrosse is you know potentially a reality as a, as a program offering, we've sat down a number of times with the lacrosse leaders on both sides of town and we've taken a look at participation now and in the future. Uh, we've taken a look at, at, at budget Figures, right? So club lacrosse, in terms of its funding, is is quite a different picture than than uh, what it would take to be a TCAP sport. And so as that as those discussions really started to evolve, and this this thing really it got real that TCAPs is willing to sponsor lacrosse and offer lacrosse, boys lacrosse. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, we've had more in-depth discussions, and based on participation. And based on you know budgetary figures and sustainability of programming, that's one of the big things. And the other is uh, we've worked really hard, Jason and I and others, in the course of the past year um, through an athletic committee to provide consistency in programming on each side of town. Thus, you'll see this winter Central will join West for uh, a Central competitive cheer opportunity, something we haven't had. And so then speaking, coming back to lacrosse. Um, in terms of these discussions about sustainability, we've decided uh, as a group that to start for the first two-year period, we're going down the path of, uh, of a co-op program between Central and West. 
at one time we had talked about Trojan lacrosse, Titan lacrosse, and one varsity program, and you know it's going to be X number of kids for each school, and you're going to wear your black and gold and, and your green and gold. And as the conversations have developed, and, and we bring, I go back to the term sustainability and growth, uh, we want to make sure that from a budgetary standpoint, from a participation standpoint, that both of those areas specifically can grow. We need to make sure the finances are in place from the lacrosse side of things, and we need to, we need to make sure that, that kids moving forward are going to be interested in lacrosse because what can happen and we hope happens is that if we start as a co-op, we're going to provide that consistent opportunity for both sides of town to make sure both schools have an opportunity for those kids to participate, but we're also providing the opportunity, the meshing of funds, and uh, the ability to start up for two years. So what's the team name going to be? We're working on that right now. Tritons like the soccer, like the swimming team. And they're thinking, as of yesterday, thinking more so like uh, Traverse City United, but that's that's unofficial and tentative at the at the moment. Um, we're leaving it in the hands of the, the both sides of the cross town to 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 figure out. You should put it up to the public. Well, right? <laughs> open it up to the public and have the public name. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. We can combine the names of the two teams that they have now to give you the Bay Squirrels. Oh, yeah, Bay Squirrels, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, not a bad idea. So they're they're toiling those things around right now, and so it's uh, it's we've notified the MHSA of our intent to to offer a co-op for the for the two-year minimum agreement and see where it goes. And eventually, you know, we want to sustain and and be able to provide that opportunity. That's and pretty if, exciting news. I appreciate you breaking that here on the podcast. Yeah, it's That's uh, wonderful. it is. Thank it's, you. it's great news, and I'm I'm happy to do that because it's essentially in the hands of the MHSA. Our it's the paperwork will go to our board for an upcoming board meeting for consideration, and then ultimately needs MHSA approval. So uh, nothing is nothing is concrete. The MHSA will ultimately decide if they're going to approve our co-op, and if they don't, then we'll we'll work as hard as we can to be able to to offer it on both sides of town because I think it's some in some way shape or form um, knock on wood and if all things go as planned we'll see we'll see a TCAPS offering for boys lacrosse in the spring so it's on course I don't see anything that will hold it up but um, we'll just uh, hope to see that through uh, I think if all goes well and as planned uh, by early November we should have we should have final word as to how that will great, work. Great, great. So Going we'll back to the sustainability portion of that I mean the, the fact that you guys the, the idea is to start out uh, with just one team. I mean, does that potentially make you more competitive right out of the gate as well? And, and then obviously if you feel the competitive team, more kids get interested because of that too. Well, i got to be honest. That's the way I see it, Brett. I think that combining those kids uh, can, uh, can make us more competitive off the bat, which ultimately I think when they see, regardless of what your jersey color is, that they get to play for their high school. Um, even though we combine forces. If we're successful out of the gates, uh, you know how that goes. The people want to be a part of things that are successful, and, and I think that that can help grow it. And the other, the other reason behind the co-op is because that will allow us, uh, again, if all goes as planned or proposed, would allow us a varsity and JV piece of that. So we may have large numbers to start. What the future holds, we don't know, but that would be the time that we, if we have that that uh, large participation number, we can branch off and, and, and operate this thing as our own school. We want to start and sustain it. We don't want to start it and have participation or budget fall through and then all of a sudden there's there's no offering on either side of town and we we felt that that would be the most detrimental thing for lacrosse in our area and in our schools. Really hard to bring it back if you start it up and it doesn't work. You are exactly right and that's part of the, the little bit of the hesitancy to start on both sides of town and expect both both t sides of town to be able to fund those programs on their own 
and look down that pipeline and see where the numbers are coming from. So, you know, it's a safe bet to uh, uh, focus on that sustainability by combining forces for at least the first two years and then hope that it grows and hope that funding is there and moving in their own direction so that we can separate and, and help it grow in, in our community. And, you know, I think Petoskey is starting it as well. Obviously, St. Francis has a program. So I think we're going to see more growth and we want to be a part of that and we want to start that being part of it with combining the forces to make sure the pieces are there and hope that we can expand it. All right. Mark, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, please, if you ever feel like coming back again, just let me know and we'd love to have you on. Uh, again, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. Again, I appreciate being here. Thank you, Brennan. James, right. Brett. Yeah, no problem. Excellent. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that little convo with Traverse City Central Athletic Director Mark Matson. Uh, we're hoping to have guests on, come on the podcast frequently, and uh, hopefully they all go as well as that one. Let's go ahead and wrap up the show as we always do with the trifecta. We've already chosen the fictional player we would build our franchise around, so why not take the next logical step and bring in the guy or gal to hold the reins as the head coach? So many choices in both TV and film, so this was not an easy decision to make. Um, but, uh, James, I'm going to start off with you. Uh, who was your pick for either coach or manager? Um, I am going to go with uh, Mickey from Rocky. Oh, so uh, you've got uh, – that's, that's a bold choice. It's a kind Great of, choice. I love it. Yeah, it's outside the realm of what you would normally think of as a coach in, you know, of, of a team, but you're, you're, you're talking about a coach of an individual. Yeah, just somebody who, uh, you know – prodded him on uh had some some pretty awesome lines in the process in that movie um you know lines like uh you're gonna eat lightning and crap thunder and classic <laughs> and, and women weaken legs um but uh you know and just the 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 you know, the old uh the old codger kind of guy uh gravelly voice and uh i don't know if i, I don't think i want to do an impression of that it would probably be to do an impression of Burgess meredith it's a, it's yeah, it's a tough one. You gotta, you wanna kind of talk like this, Rocky. You wanna knock his block off, right? That's pretty that good. Is, That's your best it, impression yet. Thank yeah, you. It's better than the Jerry Andrews. Thank you. Oh, you guys are so sweet. <laughs> Come here, Rock. My God, you're ready, ain't you? That Apollo won't know what hit him. You're gonna roll over him like a bulldozer, an Italian bulldozer. You know, kid, I know how you feel about this fight that's coming up, because I, I was young once too. And I tell you something. Well, if he wasn't here, he, I probably wouldn't be alive today. The fact that you're here and doing as well as you're doing gives me, what do you call it, a motivation, huh? To stay alive. Because I think that people die sometimes when they don't want to live no more. Nature's smarter than people think. And nature is smarter than people think. Little by little, we lose our friends. We lose everything. We keep losing and losing till we say, you know, oh, what the hell am I living around here for? I got no reason to go on. But with you, kid, boy, I got a reason to go on. But this does harken back to week one or episode one uh, when we were doing the best uh, boxing movies and uh, we talked about Rocky as well and we talked about uh, Mickey and, and his, his importance in, in Rocky's life. And, uh, yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good choice. I kind of came out of nowhere on that one. I was not expecting a Burgess Meredith uh, appearance on this podcast. Well, you know, I aim to surprise. Oh, and you do, James. And, and you, you also aim to please and you please daily. 
Brett, who are you going with? You know, as you said, Brennan, this is a really hard choice. I think by far of, of every topic that we've delved into each week, I think this is the most difficult choice we've been faced with so far. So who were some of the ones that you were kind of considering? Because I know that you like to come up with a list of... And then I do. Go, I, I like, like a to list. go over like 90 of them and then be like, well, this is the one I'm going to pick, but I did name 4,000. I'll only actually go into one, but I will give you my list. I know we were... Uh, Thinking more movies here, but uh, head coach Eric Taylor from Friday Night Lights, the TV show. That's your pick? Uh, no, that's not my pick. I'm oh. going to give you my list first oh, real quick. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't. Um, I did how, have. How silly of me to think that you would give me your answer right away. <laughs> I got to I gotta build up to it. Yeah, you you do it, buddy. Do you? I, uh, I did have Mickey on the list. Uh, James had that one covered. Uh, Al Pacino's Tony D'Amato in Any Given Sunday. He's got one of the, I think, greatest speeches in movies, so I think that might be a topic we get to down the road. But but I think who I'm going to go with is, uh, and, and actually he had two coaches that made my list, uh, Gene Hackman. Uh, he made my list for his uh, Jimmy McGinty and the replacements, who I'm not going with. But you are going I with I am going with, with Norman Dale and Hoosiers. Absolutely. Um, just the, you know... Not only did Hackman do an incredible job uh, personifying uh, that character, it was you know I think it also lends to the fact that uh, you know this was based on a true story. It wasn't a, you know a fictional sports team or a fictional uh, makeup that kind of led into this. I mean to have a guy that that comes into a, a school of that size playing against every other school in the state, not separated by divisions, and you know lead you to that state title. And I mean the. You know, one of the classics, obviously, being uh, when he leads Hickory into that big gymnasium and has him measure the... Which is one of the coolest scenes in sports movie history. It is, like, my my dad always points to that scene and says, Here, son, look at this. You may find yourself in a situation that you find either scary or intimidating or maybe it's unfamiliar. But remember, there's always something there that you can kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe hang your hat on or something that you can, uh, you can find home with. Buddy, hold this into the backboard. What is it? 15 feet. 15 feet. Strap, put Ollie on your shoulders. Measure this uh, from the rim. Buddy. How far? Ten feet. Ten feet. I think you'll find it's the exact same measurements as our gym back in Hickory. <laughs> okay, let's get dressed for practice. I mean, just to to be able to come up with with sort of that uh, mantra, and he does it throughout the movie. You know, where it's not just about the game of basketball; it's always about you know drawing those parallels between life and basketball, and uh, you know, just an incredible, incredible character, incredible performance, and uh, definitely one of the one of the greater sports movies of all time, if you want to throw it on that list, too. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, eventually that's going to have to be a category that we get to, is greatest sports movie of all time. 
that one's just going to be nearly impossible uh, to, to do. But Hoosiers is a movie that's going to come up on this podcast again. I'm, I'm assuming that when we do best basketball movie or favorite basketball movie, that, that Hoosiers is, is certainly going to be on that list. So I'll, I'll save my Hoosiers story for then, uh, and uh, I'll move on to my pick. It was tough for me not to go with Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, Eric Taylor. I mean, it really was because uh, he was. it was such an incredible show, and he, Coach Taylor was, uh, I mean, a, a wonderful role model and father figure to so many of his players, and he really, really cared about his players and his teams, and, and it was he cared about them, you know, off the field as well, which was was important. But I have to go with two-time Oscar winner Tom Hanks and his portrayal of Jimmy Dugan as the manager of the Rockford Peaches in the League of Their Own. Um, now, if you're not familiar with League of Their Own, what the hell is wrong with you? Number one, uh, I mean, it's a classic. You've got Gina Davis. Uh, Donald Trump's favorite actress is also in this one, Rosie O'Donnell. I don't know if you guys know that. Madonna's in there. And Lori Petty, who actually makes her second appearance on the podcast, because she was also in Point Break, which was a movie that I chose uh, a couple weeks ago. But the uh, the Peaches are part of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. And I started to watch the movie last night, but I got too tired and had to go to bed, and we had to be up early today for, uh, you know, for IRE training. But, uh, yes, yeah, so the, the, the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which began during World War II, which and this is a, it's a fictionalized account of true events. So the, the, during World War II, which almost shut down the, uh, the majors, so Hanks comes in as, the, uh, as Jimmy Dugan, a washed-up uh, pro and a drunk, uh, to coach the Peaches, it's it's such an iconic performance that includes arguably one of the most favorite or, or one of the most famous movie quotes of all times when he says, and say it with me, guys, there's no crying in baseball. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris! Rogers Hornsby was my manager, and he called me a talking pile of pigs. And that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play the game. And did I cry? No, no. No! No! And you know why? No. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball! No crying! So it's, you know, and there was also a really touching scene uh, when Hanks has to deliver the bad news to Betty Spaghetti that her husband was killed in action over in World War II. Uh, he, you know, he walks with the letter and goes by player after player, uh, and you can see that he kind of has come to uh, to care about the girls, and it's, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a really, really wonderful movie, so. It's a really incredible journey that his character takes over the course of the movie. You know, the movie's not necessarily about him, uh, but... I mean, from where the team starts, I mean, he doesn't really have any interest in being the manager of that team. And he by has the, interest in alcohol. That's what he likes. <laughs> and by the end of the movie, there's nothing more that he cares about than the players on his team. Yeah, yeah. Just some fun facts. I found this online when I was researching the movie last night a little bit. So fun facts about A League of Their Own. It was originally four hours long, but they cut it down to just over two hours. More than 2,000 women auditioned to play baseball in the movie. The actresses spent eight hours a day, six days a week, for seven and a half months training and honing their baseball skills. And during that training, the actresses learned to slide on a slip and slide, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, Gina Davis actually makes that catch behind her back, the one where she does the splits and somehow catches it behind her back. She actually does that. And then the extras from the Hall of Fame scenes 
are actual former players from the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. So I thought that was pretty cool and just wanted to share. Thank you. That was good stuff. So I like it. All right, well, that does it for this episode of the Get Around Podcast. I don't know about you guys, but I certainly had plenty of fun, you know, speaking into this microphone. So I want to thank all of you for listening. Uh, We do appreciate it. Make sure you check out some of the uh, previous episodes, including all the episodes of the Get Around After Dark, in which we break down the best of the prep football action on a Friday night. Uh, Make sure you also come back uh, Saturday morning for another episode of the Get Around uh, After Dark and then next Tuesday for an episode of this wonderful show right here. Uh, For my two colleagues, Brett Summers and James Cook, I am Brendan Queeley. Thank you again for listening and have a wonderful rest of the week.